Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. I think I made the joke last time he did the video that I wanted to choose my walk-up music, my intro music, so I guess that's what I got this week. That's great stuff. Hey, weren't those cute, weren't those, that picture behind him of those kids really cute? I didn't realize that he uh, shot that video in my office this week, but uh, that's what happens when you're not around. Hey, just want to reiterate, um, our upward season came to a close yesterday, we've got the the, the last little closing ceremonies today, and um, thank you so much for, for everyone, whether you're a, um, a coach, a ref, a parent who's a supporter, um, even, even our 1030 service that, that flips this room around after church every Sunday to, to help us to do what we do. Um, we could not do this without each and every one of you, and especially Janae. Can we just give Janae a hand today? Janae puts in... Countless hours for Upward, and it is a, it is a valuable ministry in the church and, and what we're able to do. Well, I want to welcome many of those who are visiting today as they would affirm and, uh, and encourage and, um, the families whose children were dedicated today. It's such a good, cool thing. My name is Ben. I'm the, one of the pastors here, and we have been going through the Gospel of Luke, and so today you are joining us in Luke 15. So you can open your Bibles. Uh, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, um, you, can, you can open that up as well. We're going to be in Luke 15 today. Luke 15 is all about lost things being found. How many of you have lost something before? Not as many as I thought. Good job. How many of you have uh, gotten lost before? Guys don't want to admit that. How many of you have lost your kids or left them somewhere before? It's all right. It's all right. It happens. It happens. Hey, listen, even Joseph and Mary left Jesus, right? So you've got cover there. But we can all speak to the joy in finding that, that thing that was lost once we find it. Whether it's an object around the house or a kid you left at the store or the church or, or wherever. Um, because, but the core of being lost is separation, right? You are, you are separated from something that you desire to be near or to be with. And so Luke 15 is a, is a chapter that it talks about three lost things. It's three parables in, in, this, in this chapter. First off, the first parable is the lost sheep. The one that wandered off and the shepherd found it and um, when it returned to it, he called his friends and his neighbors and they joined in the celebration because what was once lost was found. The next parable in Luke 15 is all about a lost coin. The woman searches and searches everywhere in her house for this lost coin of value. And in this context, you know, she's, she's looking everywhere on the floor and everything. And don't think of floor like this. Think dust and dirt and straw and just a whole mess of stuff that, that lined their floors. And it literally was like trying to find a needle in a haystack to find this lost coin. 
And so when she found it and it had some sort of value, whether it was a week's wages, a day's wages, no matter what, you know, means were tight. And so it was a big deal when this coin was found. And so she finds it. And so she calls her neighbors, she calls her friends and she says, rejoice with me because what was once lost is now found. And this is Jesus telling these stories and he ends each of, each of these short parables with what the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like. Because the, the, the listener would have connected with the joy of finding something that was lost, this, this minor thing compared to what he's going to drop on them about what the kingdom is like, right? A lost coin, a lost sheep, seemingly insignificant in the way the, the, the world turns. Um, and so he takes this this joy taps into it. He said even more joy is in heaven over one sinner who repents. Chapter 15 is said to be the physical, emotional, and theological center of Luke. It, it really culminates and crystallizes the theme of repentance. Many theologians call this the heart of Luke's gospel. The essence of the kingdom is calling what has been lost or separated home and back to divine order, back to right order. And that's what the good news is about, right? Christ came to bring us back, to make a way. And so Jesus uses these minor illustrations of a lost sheep and a lost coin to introduce this major kingdom concept that culminates in what we have come to know as the prodigal son. And so that's where we begin today. And I want to pray over us as we begin. Father, I come before you. Lord, I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pure in your sight. That as, uh, as I speak and share, as we get into your word, Lord, that these would be seeds planted on the heart's I pray of soil ready to receive the gospel, ready to continue to foster it, to water it, so that it grows into a harvest for the world. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's get into it today. So, Luke 15, verse 11. He said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to the, to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls on me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he spent everything, a severe famine came into the country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs, the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, but no one was giving anything to him. And so we begin there, and I just want to point out a few things. The separation of the young son immediately, right? We come up, Jesus begins the story with the, with the young son wanting to leave. 
wanting to be set apart. He was, uh, this wasn't a slow drift, a wandering away as the sheep would have been. This was a tearing away from something that was once grafted together, the household. In this division of the estate, basically what he was coming to his father saying is, because this would have been his upon his father's death, he's basically saying, Father, I want you dead. I want you to die because I want these things. I want to live in my own way. And so he takes these things. The personal separation that comes when he moves to this distant country, moving himself even further away from the household that he was in. First off, he takes the estate, his inheritance. Then what does he do with it? He moves away to a new place. Third, he squanders it on loose living. So the last part of that separation is he is removed even from his inheritance then. And verse 15 finds us, uh, finds him in the, the height of his spiritual impurity. They would have seen, the Jews would have seen this as, the, the, the audience that, that Jesus is, is sharing this with. Among unclean pigs, this was a particularly stood out to them, that this son is basically in the most unholy of states that they could have imagined him to be in. Furthest from, furthest from the household that he could have thought. And so we read on. But when he came to his census, he says, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. And so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, his slaves. One thing I have you notice there is he couldn't even finish what he rehearsed to the father. He was ready to tell the father, I'm no longer worthy, so make me something new, something else, something less than what I was. And with the repentant heart of the son, the father looks at him, cuts him off, says to his slaves quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let's eat it and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has now come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. And so here we have the young son returning. His walk of shame back to his homeland, rehearsing what he meant to say. He's ready to become this hired servant, less than a slave, certainly less than a son. You see, slaves actually were part of the household. So they had, they had more rights than the hired servants did. The hired servants were just a mere transaction. They were people who would just come in for hired help and then they would, they would be dismissed. And he's saying, bring me back as just the lowest of the low, 
in your household. Hired people. He was resigned to being an outsider with some proximity to what he once knew. And so he begins this journey home and hoping that this man, see, see probably what would have happened is he, he might have gotten stoned. I mean, you think of what, what Jewish culture was like and, and the way that he treated and defiled um, himself, the way he treated his father, the, tra- the way that he rejected his household. He didn't know for sure what he was coming home to. He just knew it was better than where, where he was. And I love this. While he was a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. He didn't wait for him to come all the way home for the walk of shame. As soon as he saw him, the father felt compassion, love, and ran in an undignified way, probably, Men in that time, they would have been wearing robes. It would have been very undignified to to run or to pursue anything like that. In his status, people would have come to him. And he kissed him. He embraced him, taking him back. He's received, and the celebration begins. We read on. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf. He has received him back safe and sound. And what's the older brother's response? He became angry. He was not willing to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected any command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. We have, we, but we celebrate and rejoice for your brother was once dead and now has begun to live, was once lost and now is found. And I think immediately I begin to, to realize that this parable res, ends with some unresolved tension here between the father and the older son you see the title of of this causes us to focus on the prodigal who has come home right and rightfully so it it fits thematically with where Luke 15 was going in the first two what was lost is found and so now he culminates with the prodigal son who has been restored but it leaves us seeing into the heart and the mind of the older one. This is one of the most complex parables in all the Gospels because for the listener, there are multiple insights and, and multiple um, different applications depending on which lens you read this through that are, that are kingdom concepts and that are, that are true, that are right. 
because Jesus is teaching this kingdom principle that is vastly applicable both then and now. And I want to break down the personalities of these two, these two sons. Um, and I want to end today with the love of the Father. Because ultimately that's where it leads us. You see this, this young son, we call this the one who, who was uh, all about self-worship, self-indulgence, right? Um, he was arrogant. He desired to be set free. Um, he wanted to do what pleases him. He wanted to do the things that satisfied him, um, to give into every lustful desire that he might have, to binge on whatever he might want to. Uh, he lived for himself and no one else. And this was the life of the, the young son. He poured his wealth into any and every experience and pleasure that he could want. Solomon tried this, right? And he, he reminds us that he's seen all things and done everything under the sun and finds them all meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind, but for the person experiencing it, always trying to grasp for something else that might satisfy. Always trying to fill the chasm, the gap, the void with a pleasure that is something other than what it looks like to live in the household of God. So we see this in our culture. We understand that we were designed to worship something. We were all created by our creator, right? And we're designed to worship something. And so if it's not the father, it's something else. Our affections turn elsewhere. We worship ourselves, we worship our bodies. Billions and trillions of dollars are spent on marketing, right? Of, on telling us to, to look inward and, and turn our affections on ourselves and our passions and our lusts. And, and if we, um, we're left to pursue vanity that ultimately leads to this emptiness. This has even been going on before sin, the temptation in the garden, Right? the temptation to eat the fruit because maybe, maybe that's the key to more exhilaration, the ecstasy, the good stuff. Maybe I'm missing out. And so this is the profile of the young son before he's reconciled to the father, before he's brought back. The self-indulgence, self-worship. I want to be set apart and just live into every desire I can. We contrast this with the decisions of the older son, the self-righteous one. That at the end of the day, unfortunately may be worse off than the younger brother. You see, the older brother felt morally superior and condescending towards the, the younger one. Particularly his younger brother that bailed. He, he devalued his land. I mean, there are real physical implications to to splitting off the land because what happened is all of a sudden now the older brother's portfolio is impacted, right? It cost him a ton of money. He had, was put back into right standing with his dad, which means that, guess what? Upon his father's death, the land's gonna be split off again because he was brought back into sonship, right? So all of a sudden, all that inheritance comes back to that young son once more we can presume is if they were living into their, their culture. And so it actually cost the brother a lot, not just 
being frustrated or, or whatever, but physically his possessions were affected by this. He had no desire to be reconciled with his brother or the, the one who had been repentant. He wanted justice. And so we find the mess of these two, the self-indulgent and the self-righteous. And we begin to zoom out and zoom out and begin to see we have the profile of one, the profile of the other. And the threads throughout all of this, the overarching umbrella is the love of the father. We see the love of the father in the way he receives the young son. We, re- we see the love of the father in the way that his response to the young son's return is so different than the self-righteous older sons. The love and forgiveness of the father. You see the root of both of these was pride. Pride was the root of the sin of self-righteousness. I am morally superior. I am better than you. I know what's right. The pride of the self-indulgent, the self-worshipper, the young son. I just want to live for myself. Complete disregard to the feelings, to the impact that, that my decisions, my reckless decisions are making on the lives of everyone else. Pride. And the Father's forgiveness and extravagant love is the essence of what Jesus is trying to teach us here. In the lost being found, it all points back to the Father. Before we were reconciled with him, we were somewhere between all of us self-righteousness or self-worship. Somewhere on that spectrum, we found ourselves in our brokenness, whether it was just living for ourselves, living for the things of this world, or whether it was a complete hardness of heart growing up, even in the church, in the apathy and the duty that comes with coming in and just sitting in the church. We have this self-righteousness because we've got it all together while that family's a mess. Pride. And the love of the Father is in contrast to that. You see, Proverbs calls us to root out all of the, the evil and, and pride of life. God hates pride. Just a few Proverbs this morning. The fear of the, the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. The Lord detests all the proud at heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction, before the fall. A haughty spirit before a fall. Why does God hate pride? Because pride is what keeps us from loving all the right things. Pride is what keeps us from the love of the Father. Because our focus is set on something other in the Lord. It keeps us from his grace. It keeps our eyes set on other things. It keeps us from experiencing the mercy of God. It keeps us from the Father. It destroys us. 
Galatians 5, we love, we love the fruit of the Spirit. We love the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all the things that are embodiments of, of the Spirit. But what Paul is actually writing about before that is how there's, there's something going on between the flesh and the Spirit. And he's saying, this is the flesh, and then, but, but don't do these things. This is the Spirit. This is what it looks like. Not just don't do, but when you live in the Spirit and not in the flesh, this is what it looks like. Because what we don't often talk about in Galatians 5 is that for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who will do that will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say, but put on these things in the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's a contrast there. And it's the root of pride that leads to all of these other things. But it's in humility. It's when our pride runs out that we begin to see that the love of the Father was always there. That it was a pride in our lives that was the hand over our face shielding us from being able to see it. But when we remove that hand over our face, we begin to see the love of the Father was there the whole time. And in humility, we turn. And maybe we start to pursue him back in shame. And then he removes that, that condemnation and that shame from us when he runs towards us. Brings us back into adoption brings us back into the family, brings us back into right standing of what the household was always meant to be. He calls us home. Not for duty, because of love. The love of the Father is seen when pride runs out and humility begins. There's a difference, real quick, between pride and excellence. We talk about this all the time in worship team. Excellence is, is God honoring, God glorifying. It's doing your best to honor him. Pride is self-seeking. Pri um, perfectionism is, is, is done out of a sense of pride. I've got to perform so that others see me. So I want to be perfect in everything. Once, but that is, that is not a burden that the, the Father placed on you. He calls us for perfection and love, and all that means is receiving the love of the Father. And then so what? Loving others as he loved us, right? The great commands. And so this morning, we're going to end at the table in a few minutes here. I can, let's, uh, why don't you guys come up? My prayer for you today is that you leave here with maybe a new revelation, a new understanding, maybe a renewed understanding of the extravagant love of the Father. Because that's what this parable is all about and that's what it leads to. The extravagant love of the Father that calls us back, that calls us home. 
the love of the Father. That when we come to the end of ourselves and to our pride, runs towards us. That while we're still lost, he longed for us. And when we return to him, he seals us. He seals us with the spirit. He calls us sons and daughters. See, this is misplaced identity. The older son was all about his own deeds, his duty, the things that, that, that he needed to do to perform. It was inward. And the younger brother self-indulgence, right? Identity. No longer wanting to be seen in that household. I think of these little ones we dedicated today. As a dad. And this is why it's important for you to get it. If you don't understand the love of the Father, you can't show the love of the Father. My job as a dad is to not generate good athletes. My job as a dad is not to generate successful CEOs, kids that do all their chores. My job as a dad is to teach them from a loving father what their heavenly father sees them as, knows them as. I put it in your Bible app. Um, identity is important to me. So my kids know this. We have a family motto at home. I have a two and a four-year-old. We say this every night before bed. If you see him in the hall, if you ask him, they could recite it. I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I am the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take it from me. I don't have to hurry. I don't have to worry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. Because if I don't teach them who they are, the world will. And so I want them, and I want to pray that over them thousands of times before anyone else tells them who they are. Because they need to know. And these little ones today need to know. And if their parents don't know that, then we've got a problem. Because see, I'm a son too. 
And that word's for me. And it's only when we've come to terms with our own sin and our own shortcomings and our own pride that we return in humility to the Father. And we don't turn to him to be beaten, to be condemned, to be punished. Someone already did that for us. We come to be received back. So let's stand this morning. We're going to come to the table. I know we have visitors. We have an open table. And simply what that means is you, if you profess Christ, you believe that he's your savior. That the Lord is your father. That you trust in him and him alone. That this meal prepared is for you. And I'm not going to stand in the way of that. The night that Jesus was betrayed, trying to give the disciples a glimpse of what was to come in his love, he took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body, broken for you for the forgiveness of sin. You take and eat this, and when you do this, remember me. Remember my broken body and my motivation for the cross which was to bring you back into the house to come home. The same way he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant. That the old law, what the, what the, what the father would have, would have been living into, what the older son thought would have been just, would have been reparations needed to be paid, all these other things needed to happen. He said, no reconciliation needs to happen be reconciled in peace there's no reparations there's no paying back you love as I've shown you now and you make peace with everyone else and this is the blood poured out for me my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin take of this bread drink of this cup when you do this do this and remembrance for me. I'm going to pray in a moment. We have tables on either side of the room in the middle here. I invite you to take it at the table or take it back with you and, and take it in your, in, your, in your seat if you'd like. Let's come before the Lord, Father. You are the one who calls the prodigals home. We have all gone astray, whether we realize it or not, at one point or another. We have left the household because sin separates. Sin leads to brokenness. Pride separates. And because of your love, Christ came, dying for the forgiveness of sin to bring us back into the house. Lord, I pray for those who have wandered Bring them home. Lord, for those in this room or outside this room, Lord, I pray that as a body of Christ, 
that we would be burdened to be praying for those who have walked away, those who are living in separation, whether it's through wandering as the sheep, or whether it's just complete disregard and understanding the love of the Father. Bring them home, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, come to the table this morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.